It's the Airhead 247 Podcast. The Airhead 247 Podcast, powered by Wedgetail Ignition Systems, state of the art ignition for your 247 Airhead. Proudly made in Australia by motorcyclists who love their BMWs by the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America, who invite you to ride inspired. And Boxer2Valve.com, the premium supplier for all your airhead replacement parts. Now, let's get this thing fired up. Hello again, everyone. Glad to be with you for another episode on the program this week. We'll visit with attendees from the BMW Motorrad 100th Anniversary Rally, hosted by Todd Trumbor. George Thomas at Air Support, he's back with us once again as we continue our conversation on building a relationship with a mechanic for your motorcycle. Want to take a moment to say thanks to Zach for writing us, sharing a picture of his very clean and well-maintained 93 R100GS. Zach is among, as he noted in his email, the under 40 crowd. So Zach, Glad to have you among the owners here. Many happy miles ahead and keep in touch. A reminder to consider supporting this program by taking advantage of the BMW MOA free digital membership promotion. That's still going on. If you haven't done that yet, please think about it. Check the info or about section of this program for the link and the discount code. It's free, easy, and helps keep this show going. Before we dig into this week's show, a word about Hans Muth. Now, many of you know Hans was the design architect behind the R90S, the R100RS, the R65LS, and the R80GS first generation. Those bikes defined BMW in the 70s and 80s, and in many ways, kept the motor rod division alive at BMW. Now, in his late 80s, Hans is having some health complications, and as a result, has incurred some medical bills for which he needs some assistance. Robert McIsaac and the aforementioned Todd Trumbor have set up a GoFundMe account for Hans. It's easy to find. Just search GoFundMe, Hans Muth, H-A-N-S-M-U-T-H, or check the About section in this program for a link to that page. Hans was scheduled to appear at the event in September. However, health complications caused him to cancel the trip. Okay, everyone, our conversations this week are with a variety of attendees from the BMW 100th Motorrad Anniversary at Todd Trumbor's place. We recorded some of the presentations and panel discussions. However, we do need to go through some of that audio to make sure it's good for broadcast. So hold tight on that. With that, though, we've got some great interviews with some folks who were there. First up is Paul. He rides a 75 R90S that was converted to an RS. We'll also hear from Darren Liu. He's a cinematographer, rides a R90S as well. And we'll hear from Ron, who's a used parts seller on the East Coast. Later in the program, we'll hear part two of our visit with George Thomas from Air Support BMW and a return chat from Bob Hennig at Bob's BMW. So off we go to Harleysville, Pennsylvania. That's right for the BMW Motorrad 100th anniversary on the Airhead 247 podcast. So we're with Paul, uh, R90S, and the reason we stopped to visit, of course, there are a lot of R90Ss here at the rally, but yours is unique among them with the RS fairing. So first question, what year was this bike produced? What year what is this? It's a 1975. Okay, so mid-year. Yeah. And... How did the RS fairing go on? Did you do it, or did you purchase it this way? No, no, I did it, but uh, after, a, after a crash, which I attributed to the uh, cafe fairing, and, uh, and the king of beers had something to do with it, but uh, <laughs> I, I wanted a more, more in enveloping bike, and so in, the crash was in 77. I bought this in 76. So was it new when you bought it or lightly used? It was just lightly used. Okay. And and so uh, I enjoyed it in, in that form, but I wanted the fuller fairing, and I've uh, investigated other possibilities, Avon and so on, 
And uh, at a cycle show near Chicago was a Barrington Cycle Works of, uh, outside of Chicago. And I talked to them about my idea, and they said, you know, we recently have had several RSs fall down on early riding uh, ice patches and so on. <laughs> yep. and, and so they put a kit together for me and painted it at their companion company, which is uh, Motor Works of Barrington. And uh, the guy did a fabulous uh, orange job uh, based on, uh, it was a San Jose uh, of BMW in California. Uh, early on, they did one. And uh, it was uh, featured in a advertisement. Okay, in a so they did an RS conversion on the S prior. Uh, yeah, yes. okay. San Jose BMW did. And so the guy was all in on uh, making this like that, but with my own interpretation of the color. And they put together such a fabulous kit with every, every screw and wire and washer and uh, a factory book uh, that helped me figure out how to put it together when so I got So you did the home. install? Yeah, that was in 1980. Wow. And so it's it's been great ever since. It hasn't fallen down yet ever since. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's been it's been wonderful. 140,000 miles now on it. Wow. And so what uh, sort of rebuilds uh, to the engine, transmission, or anything it's in had, those miles? Uh, it's had a couple clutches, and it had... Rings at fifty thousand, which is now ninety thousand ago, and it blows out a little characteristic smoke, but uh, that's okay. So still steel bore cylinders. Yes. Okay. Wow. Original. And let me just come up here and take a look. So on the paint on the fairing, I think they did a really good job of sort of adapting the sort of proper fade ratio. Yes. Yeah, they right. did. They did well. Yeah, and they're also hand striping, uh, pin striping. Yep. And uh, it just did such a fabulous job that uh, on anniversaries of my purchase, I sent them pictures of it, how it's still doing. And I think now everybody's retired that worked on it. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> I still appreciate their work. So it's uh, regular RS bars, no modification or some? No, RS bars. No yeah. riser, no nothing? Uh, it, my back... It's calling for one, Okay. But, uh, no, it's all standard so far. And rest of the paint's original, yes. rest of the bike controls, all that stuff? Oh, yeah. All over. Well, no, the controls are different because of the length of the wires needed, so there are new, uh, okay. new uh, electrical controls. And the clock is still working. Has that been repaired? Yes, it has. Okay. The, so. the real knowledgeable guy will know that the clock is ticking on the second, and the original ones are smoothly sweeping. Yeah, so you've had the quartz. I've had that repaired. Yep. Uh, did did yeah. um, Harmut do that at Palo Alto? Or do you remember where you had it done? At Palo Alto, I yeah. believe so. Yeah. yeah, I had the same thing done to my R90S. Oh, the yeah. clock went bad, and uh, they put the quartz movement in, and all good. Yeah. All right, let's, in, walk, let's walk around the other side. Here. In the 70s, I'd never think of why you would need a clock on a bike, but it just makes perfect sense. It's helpful. Yeah. It's helpful. Uh, here's another thing I noticed. So, mine, I have a 75 uh, with the regular fairing on it. You've still got the uh, angled elbows on the De on the Delordos. Yes. I have those too. You don't yeah. see those a lot. You can't find them either. Yeah. I had to uh, adapt one as, uh, I don't know which one it was, but I had a, it didn't have as many threads now as it mm -hmm. should have because it, it broke off at one point. But yeah. Okay, and I see you've got the horns mounted sort of parallel sideways. Yes. Are the people more, mount them vertically yeah. in the uh, support snap by vibration? Oh, yeah. That just happened to me. And it's <laughs> it, it's nothing that I intrinsically knew as a great engineer. Yeah. I just, uh, that's the way it fit, but it turned out to be the right way. Well, excellent. So, gosh, 140,000 miles. You bought this. Slightly used in 1976, all these years, great service. Yeah, two, I, it was 2,000 miles when I bought it. And uh, What'd you pay for it back then? 2,000 bucks. Great. And it was an emergency uh, Did that seem divorce, like a lot of money back then? sale. No, it was half price, basically, of a new one. Yeah. And it had such low mileage, and the guy had to, he had to dispose of his assets oh, or man. share them. You at, hate at, to hear that. I'm afraid, you know. I, I'm not on that same side, but uh, I, 
I had uh, feelings for him. Yeah. But what did you think about offering him 2500 No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, Paul. Great bike. Thank yeah. you, buddy. Appreciate it. Great. Good yeah. All right. So we're talking today uh, with Darren, another Darren, uh, which is rare. We don't run into Darren's a whole lot. So you've got here, uh, what year R90S? 76 R90S. Okay, so this is the last of the run for the 90S. This had some small improvements uh, over the previous year. Do you know what those are offhand? I think I do, but I can't remember. I think the frame's a little different. Yes, I, you know something? I should know that, and I don't know that because in my quest to have an R90S, honestly, I wanted a Daytona Orange R90S. That was your first consideration. And, yeah, I wanted an original paint uh, bike, and it didn't matter to me whether it was a 75 or a 76. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. I think the frame was beefed up. There might be something a little bit different in the casting on the um, engine block. Right, exactly. And would you mind, the master cylinder, was that was that a later? Was I don't the, know. Uh, was the, were the 76s mounted? A higher, also, are the brakes different? I don't think so. No, they're the same? Okay. No, I think it was just more. frame and engine uh, modifications a little okay. bit. And they might have done away with some chrome hardware, uh, a couple other little bits like that. Um, but anyway, okay, so you were on the hunt for one of these, and like me, your major criteria was original paint. So tell me why. What's the draw? I don't mind the patina, uh, scratches here and things like that. I didn't want to be the first one to put a scratch on it. <laughs> I, I, I had the opportunity to get some bikes that were repaints, and I, 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 I spoke to Mr. Holt. I spoke to a number of painters. I, we talked about getting, an, I talked about getting an older bike and all that. Those are good painters are, I think, hard to come by. Yes. And to tell you the truth, I can kind of spot it a mile away when I see a, an original paint bike and a, a repaint. The repaints are good, but they're just different. I was you talking know? with William about that, and that was the one thing I said was, to a R90S owner or a fan, the first thing you notice is the paint right off the bat. Right, and you know, I'm a photographer, so I know that sometimes the camera can lie, and this part in a photograph can appear, have a lot more contrast and appear a lot wider, but, uh, it's really subtle. You know, it's like with the smoke silvers. I'm always looking for the, I don't own one, but I'm always looking for that green in the paint. Yeah, right. Right. Yep. And, and, and if I had a smoke silver, I, I, I would not be able to stomach one that didn't have that green in the paint. I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it with the, the Daytona orange, but I, I don't know. I don't mind the patina. I don't mind the patina of any things that I haven't, you know, I mean, these are meant to be used. Yeah. You know, I'm a cameraman, my cameras are scratched up, they get used. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna baby anything like that. I don't want a garage. I wanna, I'm gonna ride home in the rain in this. That's know? right. You know, and I don't, it's, it's, it's all good for me. So you got the bike and we were talking last night, you knew it had, we'll just use this term loosely, some issues. Yes. Uh, but the one thing you had to tackle was the wiring harness, which, the part isn't that expensive necessarily. You can get a good wiring right. new. I think EME sells them, or you know, right. a number of places. The trick there is the time and getting it all worked out. So tell me that process. Well, I, to tell you the truth, I, you know, I'm uh, unlike many people here. I seem to have less time than many people here. <laughs> I have a day job. I work a lot. I travel a lot. Um, I'm. Uh, maybe a novice mechanic, maybe actually better with electrics than maybe other people okay. because I know electrics well, but I didn't want to tack. I, this bike uh, got shipped from the Midwest uh, to Max. Oh, okay. Uh, because they, it's very expensive to have it delivered to New York City. Oh, got it. Kind of, oh, that's where you're based out I'm of. based out okay. of New York City, right. and they charge you an arm and a leg. And so sure. I have a good relationship with Max. They work on my other, they've worked on my other bikes. And they were willing to take delivery of it for me and take and, and take a look at it. I had seen R90s's that were um, scams in the past, really dubious, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, sellers. But I knew who had this bike before the previous owner, and so I had a sense that it was going to be okay. However, once it got to Max, I mean, they were playing with it, and they found some. 
some questionable electrical things going on. And I read about it, and I know there's a number of diodes that can be replaced in the headlight bucket. I went up to Max and I took a look at it, and the wiring harness did not look good. It looked like it had been pinched at some point. It looked like it had been spliced into. Um, not the way that I would like to do that. I and mean, that's not something I want to worry about. So Max is, is, you know, I'm not sure if you, you probably know Max, he's very involved and he really wants to not send out a bike that unless it's the way that he would do it. And um, he convinced me uh, to, 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 to replace the harness if it was a bike that I was going to And so to far, ride. so good? So far, so good. So far, so good. You know, I'll probably do, you know, the cat dash upgrade and mm -hmm. things like that, but so far, so good. So, yeah. Anything else on the repair modification list for you? You know, I have, I'm mostly a GS rider, and I have some GSs that are heavily modified for touring, and so it's actually hard for me to get used to coming to a bike that is, you know, I have an R80 GS that is stock, and I have this, which is kind of, and I want to keep those bikes stock, but if I have to tell you the truth, my R100 GSPD is just so much better set up for touring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes. You know, everything that I've done to it. Uh, so uh, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I mean, I, I followed I followed Bill here and, you know, on most of my other bikes, I have uh, flashing taillights or something, right, you know, right. on there. I have on all my other bikes, I have, you know, clear water front lights and, and things like that. So I don't know if I'm going to do that. Here. But, you know, as I told you, this bike is fairly new to me. And uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to add, other than the cat dash. Take it as it comes. I'm going to take it as it comes, I think. But It'll tell you what it needs. It, I think it will. I think it will. I, 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 yeah, I, I, it's, right now, leaves nothing to be desired. I, I don't I, think I, so. I'm liking to ride it the way that it was designed to be. Now, what is your, I have to ask, so I'm looking at the dash here, and you have a note to yourself, snap in. I'm wearing uh, a Helite, uh, a Helite, airbag vest okay so that's all the, time. the reminder that's the reminder and where I, does it snap in it snaps into my into my vest so this is just the keeper right here oh so, okay so i snap into my vest right here got it and so uh i'm i'm really i'm really i have not had to test it out i was yet. gonna say has it deployed no, yet it has not deployed <laughs> okay but uh it's the kind of thing where i mean even though all my bikes have it and i've had it for about a year i don't remember to snap in <laughs> you know, and yesterday I found myself on, you know, I stopped on the Jersey Turnpike to fuel up and uh, I got back on and I and I saw my sign and I had, did not look at it and I got off at the next exit and, Good for sna you. and snapped in. So, uh, you know, I'm still wearing, you know, a full suit and back protector and all that, yeah, but I, I like it for the neck protection mm -hmm. and the front protection. Yeah. So. Excellent. Well, Darren, Sorry. great bike. Okay. Good talking to okay, you. Okay. Nice talking to you too, Darren. Take care now. Uh, okay, so we're here with Ron, and you uh, sold me a great pair of FIAM horns, installed yes. them, they both worked. Perfect. Perfect. Glad to hear that. Okay, so use parts. So you, when we were talking earlier, you brought up a good point. Uh, you buy a used bike. Generally speaking, you know what the bike's worth. You sell it, sell the parts, and then what sort of you have left here is the land yap or the icing on the cake. Is that when, kind of how you're operating? When I buy a bike, depending on how much I spend on it, I pick what I call the cream. Okay. The couple of parts that I have people that are always asking for, I know people that are looking for stuff, I take those few parts, I contact people, or I go online where I know a part's a hot item, and my purpose is get my investment back right away. So I'll take a bike that I spend, just say, $1,000. I'll take three key pieces off the bike, sell them, I put my thousand back in my pocket. Now, the rest of it's the gravy, okay? Now, this, I, don't mind, I don't mind taking my time selling that because it's, it's pure, pure profit. So pretty much everything you see here at this point is profit. I've already gotten, except for I have one bike here that still hasn't paid for itself. But everything else here has already, that, that, my investment's already back. So I don't mind taking my time and wheeling and dealing to make a profit on it. And any profit I make, basically, I'll buy another bike with it. Um, at one point, I had like 15 bikes. I was getting out of motorcycling for health reasons. I stopped riding, not for my health, but for my wife's health, we stopped riding. But now I'm getting back into it again, riding again. And I'm always, I, I search motorcycle classifieds the way most guys search porn sites, <laughs> okay? 
It's just, you check my bookmarks. Guys, uh, I have every single online classified, sure. and I have alerts for different things. And the, I mean, I'll travel for the right deal. I'll yeah. travel. So, what's the last thing you picked up? What's the last bike you bought? Okay, I did a deal uh, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Um, a guy was selling a 71 slash five. He was asking $2,000 for it. It wasn't a runner. It was missing some parts and the son started taking the bike apart. I've had previous dealings with this gentleman. I know what him and his son are looking for. So rather than go to his house empty handed, I threw my 95 R100 RT, a good running bike that needed a rear main seal and fork seals, but was a running bike and just happened to have it on my trailer when I showed up at his house to look at his bike. Back, forth, back, forth. I leave with his bike. My 95 stays there. I leave with his bike and $2,000 in my pocket. The R100RT only cost me 2,000. So now the 71 is pure profit. Now the 71 is an iffy bike. It's teetering on, do I chop it up for parts or do I sell it to someone for $2,000 as a roller? Right now I'm still on the point I'm gonna sell it as a roller, but if I don't do that next year, it'll be a part. Sure. That same day, a guy posts a bike in Pennsylvania with a blown out, he, the tranny locked up. It was an 87R100RT. His tranny locked up on him. Not an uncommon issue, it does happen. So I took that $2,000, hopped in my truck and trailer and went to his house, paid him 1,500 for his bike. So now one bike's gone, two bikes are there, and that the inventory grows. You're wheeling and, then, and dealing. And then the 500, I actually donated to a friend who takes in stray cats. Oh, she ran up a $6,000 vet bill on a stray kitten that someone asked her to take care of. That's if she would take care yeah. of her. So she's, she babysits my granddaughter. She's a sweetheart woman. $6,000, a lot of money to spend. So I donated the other 500 to her. And she was like, I don't believe you're doing this. I said, what? It, to me, it was literally, it was like I walked down the street and picked $500 off the ground. What am I going to do with it? And put it to a good cause. Good for so you. So that's what I did. And that's how I do this. I, that was just in the last couple of weeks that's, that's happened. Um, I'm sitting at breakfast with a buddy of mine. I had spoken to some guy selling a sidecar in Connecticut. And he had someone else that was coming. I said, great. But if this guy's going to chew you down, don't do it. Because I will send you, I'll send you a deposit sight on scene. He won $3,000. Okay? Don't let him chew you down. It's a very fair price for what you have there. I'm sitting at breakfast. I get a call from my friend in Connecticut. What are you trying to do? Mess up my deal? I said, what are you telling me? And he starts laughing. He goes, this guy tells me that he's got some guy in Jersey that's going to come up and buy this thing sight on scene. He goes, Scabetti. He goes, no, the guy's name is Ron. No, Ron Scabetti. <laughs> and he goes, he says, if you don't buy it, he'll be up here Friday. And he goes, it's Wednesday. Why did he come today? He's off on Tuesday and Wednesday. He goes, how do you know that? He goes, I know Ron for 40 years. What do you expect? Yeah. And he calls me up to tell me all this. And he ended up buying the bike for the full 3,000 price. There you go. And then he calls me up to rub it in. That he beat me to it. <laughs> so I want to ask you, has there been a part or a bike that you bought uh, that you had a difficult time selling? So maybe it was something rare or unique. I had a 60th anniversary R100RT with 7,000 miles on it. And it had the fold-out lights. It had yeah. the... It came with the stock seat with the original paint and pinstripe, but it also came with the thousand mile seat and all the Qtronic uh, something, thousand mile seat, all that stuff. And I, that was the, when, I, when I was getting out, I sold my bike. That was the last bike I had. I was going to keep it. And then, am I ever going to ride again? I don't know. My wife doesn't ride anymore. It's no fun doing it without her. So I said, you know what? A gentleman made me an offer that was, I felt, more than fair, and I was, I was making money up, but it was a more than fair for what he was getting, and I sold the bike, and I regretted that. Since then, I went out and bought a, what I thought was a 1958 R60-2. I later find, I'm born in 58. I later find out it was a 1959, which is fine. I'll deal with it. And that bike was a complete bike, but not, hadn't run in years, so rather than try starting and screw things up, the motor and training have been out pulled. A buddy of mine who's got a does work. I mean, I do some work, but never did slash two stuff. He's going to do the motor and tranny for me. I have the frame and everything in the garage. I'm going to have it all stripped down and painted, and that's going to be the keeper. And what I want to find is a sidecar for it, because I have a four and a half year old granddaughter who every bike I bring to the house, whether it's together or not, she has to, I have pictures of her on almost every single bike I have. And she's she got to get on it. She's got to get on it and sit on the bikes. So I want to put a, once I get that slash two finished, I'm going to get a sidecar for it, preferably a stive or something of that look, something mm -hmm. pro era proper, whatever. And 
set that up just for me and her to go riding. So what we see here today, is this all of what you have or part of it? This is about two thirds of what I have. Okay, so a fair amount. Yeah, there's a fair amount of it. Uh, well, no, it, it's, yeah, but it's more than half, but maybe not two thirds. It's, it's, it's a little more than half of what I have. Okay, so. and so let me ask you, so folks want to get in touch with you, email or phone number, how would uh, they, they call, can call e you? They can email me, uh, it's just, R I mean, I'm not a business, but I do this yeah. out, of, out of a hobby. Sure. Uh, my email is rjtrucker at AOL, that's the easiest one to remember. And uh, the phone number, 732-742-6007, and the name is Ron Scabetti. There you go, Ron, thank you, buddy. Thank you. Good chatting with you. Spare tubes, yep, got them. Spare starter relay and clutch cable, check a Rooney. These are just some of the things on your checklist you may have when preparing for a road trip on your 247. Two things you may not have considered, the BMW MOA Anonymous book and the MOA's Roadside Assistance Plan. No matter how well you and your bike are prepared, yep, the unexpected can happen. The BMW MOA Anonymous book, it's one of the most confidence-inspiring items I pack when traveling. It's full of contact information for MOA members across the U.S. and internationally who can offer assistance in the event of a breakdown or provide a tip on where to grab a good sandwich or catch a live band. I've used the anonymous book on a few occasions over the years. The result, always the same. Friendly assistance with a repair and a great story to tell down the road. Conversely, I've hosted and assisted fellow riders over the years and the same applies. Always a fun story and the feeling of satisfaction when helping someone in need. Now, roadside assistance plans. These start at $20 a year for the basic and top out at just over $60 a year for the Platinum Roadside and Tire Hazard Protection Plan. That includes 100 miles of free towing up to four times a year and two tire replacements each year, up to 250 bucks for each tire. The Platinum package covers up to three bikes, regardless of the brand or year. As with any offer, there are details and conditions here, so be sure to check out more on this on the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America website under the Resources tab. So next time you've got a long road trip planned, yes, pack your spares and make sure your bike is tuned and ready to go. And for that extra peace of mind, have your MOA Anonymous book and roadside assistance plan ready as well. All right, a reminder, if you're not an MOA member, please consider supporting this program by taking advantage of their free digital one-year membership. Now, part two of our conversation with George Thomas of Air Support BMW. So another thing that I think falls in this whole discussion is we mentioned going back to the sort of guru idea is knowing your limits. And I think that's something I, I, I'm going to pat myself on the back here a little bit uh, and say, I think that's something I've done a good job of over the years, uh, especially with uh, owning a motorcycle and knowing what I can do repair wise, when I should stop, all those, you know, if you're in, for instance, I say that you're in the garage, uh, you're trying to get a job done, you keep hitting a brick wall, something's happening. Sometimes you just need to put the wrenches down and, uh, you know, have a coffee, have a beer, whatever, and wait till the next day. That's knowing your limits to a certain degree. And I am sure you come across that uh, as well. You get frustrated with a job or something happens, you have to stop. Um, but the, also the idea of, what what repairs can I tackle? What shouldn't I tackle? So if somebody what somebody's calling you uh, and wanting some advice on a job, how do you, how do you know to draw the line to say, well, don't try that at home? Great question. It's it's um, yeah. So I'll preface that by saying part of what inspired this uh, this conversation about what is a guru and how to find a good shop and develop a relationship is if I had a dollar for every time somebody said to me, God, I just wish you were closer so I could send my bike to you. Um, you know, I'd be, I wouldn't have to have these, do these podcasts and draw up business. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it, and that's, it's back to, yeah, it's helping people remotely, um, 
but sometimes you know t- telling them yeah that's not something you should do remotely now i take a lot of questions through instagram email all kinds of whatever right people ask me for all kinds of information on how to do stuff and i try my very best to to provide that and to help them for no charge um but but you're but Darren you're right. I, I, there's times where I say I simply will not entertain <laughs> helping you uh, screw yourself over by trying to do a final drive at home that you and you've never done one before. Um, so if you're asking specifically where to draw the line, I generally, you know, and p- people please don't freak out because I know there's different skill levels out there. But um, you know, gearboxes, final drives, uh, probably never ever your heads. Those are things you wouldn't want to necessarily do at home. There's a lot of really approachable stuff on the BMW Airhead that you can do, like um, you know the cylinder kits or new pistons, uh, the timing chain. There's a lot of stuff that people could probably do, um, not as fast as I can, but they'll get it done. And, I, and I've seen this at the club level where you know at a tech day, you'll take a team of three or four guys a couple of days to get a, a a cam chain on. Good, it, it got on and it. And it sense of satisfaction but um i wouldn't say a final drive for sure gearbox probably not and probably never your heads um beyond that i think <laughs> uh, i wouldn't be setting up your own crank thrust or uh doing main bearing stuff like that either that's now you're getting into a whole level of special tools and abilities um and talk about stuff you got to walk away from like I'm really picky about those particular jobs, and it might take me, I might I might do it three, four times before I'm happy with the results, and that's 10 hours. Yeah, and that's good to know. That, that's real yeah, good so to at know. The novice level, at the novice level, you would just, you'd go crazy. Um, and, yeah, you first you have to go buy a couple grand worth of equipment to, to do it. <laughs> exactly, then, yeah. You know, like diminishing returns. <clears throat> but I get it. I get that people want to do that, and that's sort of what drove, drives me, too, is I want to learn. I want to get better. I, I want to uh, do things myself. I want to be self-sufficient. And if you have the means and the time and the ability to fail, and failing means learning and, and getting better, mm-hmm. then do it. But if you just need your bike repaired and you need your head serviced, send them into someone like me. Yeah, 100%. And I think, again, uh, using myself as uh, a guidepost here, I think I fall kind of right in the middle of the bell curve on all this, meaning that, you know, again, you know, there's a lot of things I can do uh, at home on a motorcycle, on, on an airhead that I'm comfortable with, that I've learned. And uh, I can only speak for myself here in, in that I was sort of thrown into it. I was lucky to have Leo when I lived in Memphis. When I moved to Arkansas, uh, there, was, I, there was nobody to take the bike to. And I really had to learn to do it by myself. And this was about 10, maybe 12 or 13 years ago, I moved here. And the first job I did on my own uh, was pushrod tube seals. And that, you know, that was a big thing for me uh, a while back. You know, I'd never done that. And I had a friend come in and help me and we got it done. And interestingly enough, George, you know, what helped, what gave me confidence to do that job was actually watching Wheeler Dealers <laughs> and Ed China. I don't know if you remember that program, um, no. but it was a car, uh, car program. And anyway, there was a mechanic and they basically they'd go out and buy a car, fix it up and resell it. That was the whole premise. Ed China yeah, okay. was a, uh, is a mechanic. It was uh, UK based. They were in Britain and they would do basic you know, repairs to get the car back up and running. And I'm watching this just thinking, gosh, you know, the more I'm seeing them do this, these are not terribly complicated procedures and things they're doing. You know, they're not totally rebuilding the engine. We're talking about things like you're saying, replacing the timing chain uh, in reference to our motorcycles, a rear main seal, new brakes, brake lines, you know, replacing the pistons, those kind of things that are all, uh, approachable and doable uh, for a novice mechanic who's who has the time, the intuition, and the patience to, to learn how to do it. So that was the first thing I did, and it was really a learning process for me. And over time, you know, you have to buy special tools. Your toolkit 
yeah. expands, starts to expand over the years, and you your shop, you know, your garage all of a sudden has more stuff, and you've got now all of a sudden you've got a bike lift, and you know now there's a tire changer. You know, just over the years, it's it's sort of grown. But again, I know when I saw a shift gear, a shift gear dog ear fall out of my transmission when I was changing the oil, I didn't think twice about it. I called Andy and I sent him sent him the job. Same thing with, now the final drive, I've developed a leak and th this is probably one of those jobs I think that's kind of on the precipice for me. I'd never done it uh, before, but this goes into something that you had mentioned in, in our notes is there's a lot of information, a lot of how-to videos on the internet by, I think, trustworthy, good mechanics that I could have done that job myself, felt felt comfortable about it, been confident uh, that there was enough information out there uh, that, that I could have done that job. However, at the time, I just didn't want to mess with it. I was still in the middle of the riding season. And again, I just, I shipped it off to Andy and he, you know, busted it out real quick, had it back to me uh, and, and it was all good. So all that to say, that final drive repair, that's something where I was doing some research on the internet, going back and watching videos. William Plam uh, has a good final drive video. Uh, Demir Senek, uh, the Airhead Barn, has a nice uh, video on uh, refurbishing a final drive. So what's your take on guys like me or some of your customers who are going to use the internet as a resource? Well, yeah. I mean, you mentioned a couple of really good examples of, of great content. Um, and I'm just going to go backwards a bit for you, though. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, when you, when, you, when you decided to, you, you said you got thrown into repair because there's nobody around. Did, did you find that the, the, the most important ingredient to that was courage? 100%. Yeah, and I think so, too. And I think that, that the Internet, then, going back to that, helps you with that courage because it becomes relatable it becomes something like okay well william plan's doing it and he, you know he's looks like it's six easy steps and i can hit i can hit pause and rewind and you know you, you kind of get comfortable you kind of uh you rehearse yeah right that's a good that's exactly um, right yeah so i think i think there's a huge value in that and i really appreciate those guys have done that people ask me all the time to do youtube videos and i'm like i i'd love to but i just don't have time um so yes, and I think social media is similar. Where there's um, there's a fairly uh, good amount of, of positive content that you can learn from and gain the courage to, to do things. Um, I think the the pitfalls sometimes will be um, on something like a final drive or a gearbox is really just the experience which develops judgment, which develops uh, speed and, and accuracy and all those other skills, mm -hmm. which come from time. Right. And, and the average person is going to rebuild their gearbox once. Right. So you just have to be okay with, uh, maybe, you know, actually I had a conversation with a, sus a suspension company one time. We were talking about putting race tech, you know, those race tech, uh, valves. Yeah. Uh, the emulators. Or, uh, emulators. That's, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. In my BMW. And I was talking to him. I said, hey, John, do you think I could do this? He said, you could absolutely do this, but you'll get 90% there, and I'll get to 100 in terms of its, uh, you know, its um, usefulness or its, its total benefit. And I think that's a fair way to express a couple of the other jobs we're talking about where I've seen guys who've rebuilt their own things, and they, they work, right? Um, I just think, you know, you have to know when it, you want you want 100% or do you want 90 or do you want 50, right? Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm getting off topic. But yeah, I, I do believe the internet is a great source and resource. I do think there's a lot of really negative stuff, and I, you know, my opinion is um, I've talked about Facebook with you in the past. Uh, Facebook actually has a lot of positive content, but I think the comment section is where it gets off for me. Oh, it's to, it's um, it's the worst. I mean, there's no, and yeah. I don't know. It's strange because uh, we may get off on a little bit of a tangent here, but yes, yeah, you know. Instagram, I don't have an Instagram account. I use my wife's. So occasionally, you know, I'll go look at your page or somebody else's if I'm doing some research or something like that. Facebook, I have an account um, to just basically post up new podcasts when they come out or, you know, occasionally uh, look for parts. For It's still a good marketplace uh, once you get past the uh, stupid scam yeah, scammers. The marketplace is great. Yeah. yeah, and there's good stuff there. And then uh, Twitter, 
Uh, not so much. You know, there's not a lot of it. And the same thing. I post every two weeks. Here's the new podcast. I put it up there. Not a whole lot of engagement there. All that being said, though, you, you're 100% right. And I don't know why this is, but there are just the meanest, nastiest, rudest a-holes sometimes that seem to post yeah. on Facebook. And I don't know what it is. I don't know either, and then that's probably a whole different podcast. I think I said that last time too. But but you know what's similar to me, and I wanted to just talk with this really quickly yeah. is um, uh, forums. Yeah, I feel like forums are a little bit like that. Um, same thing. Like there's a couple really good positive forums that are uh, private, like the v, the vintage the vintage one. Um, I forget the name. Andy's part of it. Um, it's a private locked off forum, um, or maybe it's public. But anyway, everybody just seems really like minded and helpful. Uh, and I haven't seen a lot of negativity or crap there. I, I, I can't even name the forums, but there's, there's, there's a forum for everything, right? Um, there's some really bad ones out there. And I've just, you know, just in my own, like, when I'm trying to do research to figure something out, back to, like, me just trying to be, compare sources, right? So uh, often I find myself in a forum reading, looking for some piece of information. And, I, I mean, they just get off the rails so quickly. And it does. I, I thought of a couple of examples where... Um, you know, here's one where there's a guy. I kind of wrote it down here just because it was. I thought it was funny. Probably could talk about it. Not not funny to the. I, and I apologize to anybody who might recognize himself. I'm not picking on you. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Of, this is an example of maybe how to act different. Um, so the BMW forum. I forget what it was called, but it was a forum for BMW motorcycle airhead motorcycles. Um, and a guy asks if uh, a dual shock solo seat, like from an RS, uh, will fit on a monolever. And so, um, great question. I, I, I'm curious about that, too. So that's kind of what got me on that thread, because I was looking for a toolbox for an RS. Okay. Ask this, say, that again, say that again. So a dual shock solo seat, yep. would that fit on a, mono, a later mono lever bike? Correct. So basically, to uh, paraphrase that, would a 77 seat fit on a 85 motorcycle? Effectively, is what the what the forum's about. Okay. Or the the, the, the threads about. Okay. Was specific to the three quarter seat, but anyway. So you know, instantly there's a whole bunch of trolls who chime in and give their opinion about whether that's a good or a bad idea. <laughs> that's right. A bad idea. Yeah. And then there's um, uh, another guy who politely and educated in an educated way says, uh, "No, it won't fit him on a lever," and he lists, lists kind of some of the summary of why. And, uh, and also, it's not easy to make it fit. So speaking to the, am I able to at least modify a question? No. So the answer is no and no. It won't fit, and it's not really modifiable. So there's your answer. Well, the, the original poster doesn't like that answer, uh, immediately disagrees, um, and it's just that, hey, it really can't be that big of a deal. It can't be that different. So he's going to go ahead and buy it on eBay anyway, which was the original part of the question was, hey, this, this, this is on eBay. I'm thinking yeah. of buying it. Shut yeah, up. yeah. And those things go for like a grand. They're so, pricey. Or more. Yeah. So I can't imagine why you'd ever take that risk. Uh, so anyway, he does it anyway. Um, scroll down, and if you look at the dates, like you know, six months has passed, kind of thing. But it's basically the next, the next sentence in the thread. He did buy it. He did put it on. Guess what? It didn't work. He did have the issues. Uh, there's a huge gap between the tank and the seat. It won't open all the way. He bend something to make it so it'll fit. Uh, sorry, so it'll close. But his, his kind of final response was like, but oh, well, it's my bike and I'm happy and so F you, right? So, you know, I reflected on that for a bit. Maybe that was a useful forum thread because guys like you and me can read through that whole story after the fact and go, yeah, that didn't work. But in the, but in the moment, I think it failed as, as what, a thread, what a forum thread should be, as somebody asking for advice, getting an answer, um, and then going forward. And instead it turned into you know, a hate fest, and then, uh, well, screw you, I'm going to do it anyway. And I feel like there's just so much of that out there. I, I know I'm being super specific about it, but um, I guess I've just been burned a lot by by having my eyes bleed after reading tons of forums trying to find, like, a specific thing that I just know is out there. Because there's good guys out there, like uh, Adrian from Skrunkworks and Richard Moore from uh, Moorespeed in the U.K. and, um, and uh, Antoine, and these guys all, like Paul Glaves, yeah. Great poster, right? Great. These are these are people I trust, and so I, I look. I know that there's those nuggets out there, but my eyes always end up turning red. Um, 
another one, there's a guy building a cafe bike, so there's a whole different problem, right? And uh, he, it's an R80. It doesn't have a lot of power, he says, so he figures it needs a bigger car. Uh, what does everybody think about this? So immediately, the first responses, the first five responses are, I, I hate your bike. It's ugly. <laughs> why, <laughs> yeah. why are you building a cafe bike? It's not even what the guy was talking about. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. For some advice. And it just goes on and on and on. Um, it's, it's a hateful, terrible format. And I think it's not always hateful. I shouldn't say that. It's just sometimes misinformed. It, and it, then you get, you get kind of a group think happening, and that misinformation, unfortunately, lives there forever. So... If you were if you were looking for information and only read a couple of a couple of the threads out of like a three page, you know, a couple of the um, entries in a three page thread, you might miss the fact that it's not right. You might take that stuff as being um, the information you're looking for and then make your own mistakes. So, um, the internet has a source in terms of ranking. I'd say that there's a lot of, like the, the stuff you mentioned, the, the, the qualified, we'll say, um, YouTube entries or, or videos that have been posted on, on individual websites that are kind of reputable, really good. There, there are um, Salus BMW. I know it's not necessarily specific to our airheads. It's more to the vintage BMWs, but same thing. There's some really good uh, how-tos and just good information. Even, I think, manuals are posted there that are hard to find, and so it's just a good resource. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to buy the manual or find the manual. Yeah. You just kind of download it. There, George, you mentioned something that was great there, and uh, your experience with searching the forums for a bit of information that you know is out there, we've all done that. I, I think most recently for me it was, I bought a K75 uh, earlier this summer. I've since sold it. Not that there was anything wrong with it, and that's another story. But when I bought the bike, I was researching uh, the low seat versus the standard or high seat. That There were options on that motorcycle. And I did have to go through some like BMW MOA forums, some specific K-bike forums. And eventually, after about 15 or 20 minutes, I found a great post that somebody had spent the time, showed all the parts you needed to do. The, the swap, either way, low seat to standard seat, standard seat to low seat, pictures, all that kind of stuff. But in, indeed, along the way, you start reading through those forums and you see how things get sidetracked really, really quickly. And the one forum I'm on a lot is Adventure Rider. And <clears throat> I've, I think I've been a member on there since maybe 2007, 2008. And the one thing that's helped me over the years uh, with that is, of course, if you're anybody who's a regular on a forum uh, or social media these days, hey, you got to have thick skin. You just can't be sensitive. You can't take things personally. And the second thing I would say is keep your expectations low of the human race. Uh, that's, that's It's a sad thing to say, but, uh, you know, I found that I can't expect everybody to approach things rationally or with kindness or with temperament or, quote-unquote, an open mind like I do. Not everybody's like that. I used to think that they should be or why aren't they, but it took me a while to just realize, you know what, I can't expect that out of everybody else. And once I came to that realization, it made it a lot easier to be on, on Internet forums and... You know, I don't go on there really as an advice giver. Uh, I think when if I'm chiming in on something, you know, it's, hey, cool bike, you know, or, yeah, you can find this part here or there, or I'll chime in with what I always, I'm careful to refer it as sort of an anecdotal story or something I've learned along the way uh, with personal experience on a repair or a part or something that I can relate to. I don't like to get on there and jump in on a, for instance, the the seat question, you know, that you referred to. Any number of people could could chime in on that. I, I Personally, I don't see that as my place. Now, if somebody asked me about it, the first thing I would say is just look at the parts fish. Uh, that's going to tell you a lot right there. Um, yeah, yeah that, you're right. And and uh, so, you know, we're, we're kind of circling back to what you said earlier is like, um, we're talking really about respect here, human respect. 100%. And so some people just can't 
contain, they can't restrain themselves from, from being, you know, negative. Um, so that's a really good, that's really good advice there and have thick skin, lower your expectations. <laughs> and I'll, I'll add one more thing, which is use forums, but use them as another source that you're comparing against five other sources. Like I said before, like if you go and just use the for, a forum as your source of information, you're probably going to be disappointed. Um, but if you use it as like we talked about, you, you're, you know, there's that one nugget out there, or you know, there's that, there's a guy you really like like a Paul Glaze, then you can trust what he's saying. But, but it's, it's still just one piece of the source uh, picture that you got to paint. And then the respect. you got to be respectful of each other. That's a great point. And I, I think I do that a lot, but unknowingly. I, you know, I'll find something. Uh, I'll be looking for a piece of information. I'll find it. But I always seem to want to go find another source. Um, and so whatever that might be, and, you know, I'm, I'll just throw some names around just because it's, you know, who I'm familiar with and the realm I sort of work in. But if I'm looking up a part or something for, uh, I've been working on, uh, RS or an RT or whatever, one reference I always like to go back to, I'll find something, but then I'll see if the, if Brooke Reams, for instance, has a post on it and one of the bikes that he's done. I'll, he's a, to me, he's a trusted sort of uh, second opinion, as it were. Yeah, uh, if I've uh, uh, if I've got a question about something, part number, procedure, or something like that. If he's covered it, I've read it in the manual. Maybe I've uh, spoken, you know, with you or somebody else about it. Then I'm in the garage, and just to get that last little bit of information, or if there's some uncertainty there. That's, for instance, that that's some place I might go. Snowbum, you can do that too. But again, I think sometimes I'm not being critical of him, but it's difficult to get get through, see the forest through the trees sometimes there, uh, with with all the information. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's not. Uh, it's, not it's almost it's almost too detailed, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, um, uh, believe which, me, which is excellent. Yeah, it's excellent because it, you know it is too detailed. But it, but it, it's it uh, yeah I I need personally I need to uh, after I put on some sunglasses um, <laughs> I just need to like look at it get kind of that that one thing and then get out and then compare it like or 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 I'm or I'm verifying something else um, I do uh, I do the odd time get kind of like interested in the because I'm nerdy like he is and sure. I I get interested in some of the stuff and I and then like 15 minutes later I can't I can't even see anymore because it's just I'm just you know down a rabbit hole. But uh, yeah, yeah, that really happens. Well, George, this is a great conversation. I think um, a lot this a lot of people this will resonate with a lot of folks. Even if you're a, a seasoned home mechanic, uh, this this will give you some food for thought. Uh, some of the things we talked about. Want to remind folks if you want to get with George, uh, he's easy to find. Air Support BMW dot com is the website, uh, and then uh, you mentioned Instagram. Uh, Air Support BMW. Basically, you just type that into the Google machine, and that's the best way to to connect with you. So, George, look, I appreciate you reaching reaching out, and the conversation. We'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks a lot, Darren. I first became a regular customer with Boxer Two Valve a few years ago when refreshing an R90s. William and Edward Plam's video repair series. Well, that was a go-to reference. It made that job and repair session much easier and really an enjoyable process. Boxer 2 Valve carries only the highest quality parts, mainly manufactured by OEM suppliers. So the fit is perfect and the repair, well, it's done just one time. Fitment and applications for all parts are clearly listed. To quickly find what you need, you simply enter your year and model of your bike and you'll see only the parts that fit. Shipping, that's always fast with most orders going out that day at 2 p.m. And shipping is available to all parts of the globe. Boxer 2 Valve carries a wide variety of premium special tools and maintenance items, many of those unique to their catalog. William and Edward and the team at Boxer 2 Valve are airhead fans. And as they say, with a passion for simpler times and uncomplicated machines. Check them out for all your parts needs, boxer2valve.com. That's the number two, boxer2valve.com.
As always, thanks to our sponsor, William and Company at Boxer 2 Valve, and a great visit with George this week. We hope to have him on board as a regular contributor. If you've got a question or a comment you'd like to hear us discuss in these tech talks, whether it's with William or George, drop us an email, airheads247 at hotmail.com. All right, we'll close out the program this week with a visit from Bob Hennig of Bob's BMW. Okay, we're with Bob Hennig, and Bob, uh, tell me a little bit about Todd's event, sort of what it means to the BMW community. This is, I'm sure, not the first one you've been to. I've been to all of them. Um, It's a fabulous event. Um, There are times I wish we could open it up to thousands, but what makes it special is that there's just a couple hundred people at these events usually. It is being held on his private property, and there's a limit to that. I think we've got all the rooms in the local hotel, and that's not many. Um, This is uh, the BMW motorcycle community of enthusiasts, even though some of us are in the business and most are not. Um, Collectors, enthusiasts, um, a few dealers, um, having fun at the core of what we love the most. You know, that some, I mean, we've got a couple people here that came from across the country. Um, lots of different states represented, so people have made an effort to be here. We've got several VIP guests, not including myself, that have come from other countries um, that are, you know, people in BMW's historic racing, world travelers, stuff like that, to make presentations and to just hang out and be part of this crowd. People pull out bikes they've recently acquired that are pretty special, some with stories, some with unknown stories. Uh, fabulous restorations, and just a great, this is the BMW motorcycle world at its absolute best, and what got me into this family originally, and then eventually the business. I have to say, my star of the show, if there's such a thing, is the Krauser... Domani. Domani. Yes. Thank you. Do you know much about those, and have you seen this before? I imagine you've come across it. Uh, I know a lot about them. Um, I saw them when they were first built by Krauser in in Europe. Um, This is the first one I've seen in the United States. I know Klaus, the owner. Um, Very lucky guy. Um, Like every motorcycle here, everybody um, does or does not like something. I'm a big sidecar enthusiast. I log almost as many miles on three wheels as I do two and have for about 35 years. I've got several high-performance sidecar rigs. Um, I don't want to say anything disparaging about the Demonte. It's not my cup of tea, but oh my God, it is so unbelievably cool. I got to sit on it and in it yesterday. I'm sure one of these days he'll let me take it for a ride because I'll let him take my duetto for a ride. There you go. Now, but, it, but it's uh, you know it's just one more thing that shows up, and it just came into the country last week, so he just got here by the oh, skin of his teeth. No kidding. Yes. So I don't think I'm alone when I say this, but when I look at it, I imagine Roger Moore <laughs> in a James Bond movie with Barbara Bach in the sidecar, right? Uh, yes, I absolutely. It is, <laughs> it is that sexy, <laughs> and from that era. Yeah. The early, mid-80s, I guess? Uh, yes, it's, they were built around K100 drive lines. Yeah, okay. Uh, last question, what's new sort of in and out of the museum uh, with you, or what's new in and out of the personal collection? Bikes sold, bikes coming in, anything since we last visited? Um, I am pleased to say I haven't sold anything. Congratulations. Talk. There is a uh, uh, 2000 C1 that is about to be sold. I've got three of them. The one that I'm selling was a uh, BMW pit bike, signatures from a couple of the Formula One racers and a plaque that came with it. Um, but I've got two others that are even more special and I'm not greedy and so there's people that want C1s. And I'm very fortunate, somehow I managed to get one of the very few that somehow got smuggled into this country and then somebody got a US title for it. It came into Canada originally, went to Washington State and then to Oregon, which is where I bought it. I've got it, I now have a clean Maryland title for it. And they're fun and they're collectible all that stuff. I have acquired probably more bikes than my wife would like me to acquire <laughs> since we last spoke. Um, the, two most re- the two most recent are a, just a wonderfully perfect, original, one-family uh, 2003 F650CS, which is a bike I had actually been looking for for a long time because I think it represents a very unique part of BMW's design history. Mm-hmm. And I won't go into the story on the family that it came from, but uh, the husband bought it for his wife so she could learn to ride. And then both daughters learned to ride on the bike now, and now they are on other bikes. And so Bob finally got an opportunity to get the bike. There you go. And what made it unique is that when we sold it to him, 
was part of a Ride for Kids uh, benefit auction um, oh, okay. that we did. So we got to raise money, with, and they kept all the paperwork, all the pictures, all that stuff. And I had been looking for a um, first-year uh, R1100RSL, the one with the full lowers. I was dead set on the fact that it had to be a red bike. Can't tell you why. I just thought red was it. And that was probably the first bike that we were selling the most of. And uh, for me, as a short guy, it was a pivotal bike. I can lower the seat and be flat-footed. Yeah, we talked a lot about that, <laughs> seat height. Yes. yes. And so um, another longtime customer that we sold a bike to in 1994 called me up. This is within the last four months and said, I've got my RSL. I've got a couple of other bikes. I'm not riding this bike. Are you interested? And I said, sure. He brought it and he had bolted a bunch of accessories on it, all of which I have taken off. We came to a, a price agreement almost immediately. His asking price was very fair and I said, yes. Um, but it was in teal green. Okay, not the most popular color back then, not the most unpopular color, but within 24 hours of that bike arriving in the dealership and us reviewing it and then doing the deal and I all that I know stuff, where this is going. Every single member of my staff said, Bob, that is the coolest color bike we've ever seen. And so it was like, okay, it's definitely staying. Yeah. And so, and there've been a, there've been a couple of interesting older bikes with stories. Um, I don't think we had, we have a 1993 K75 standard, uh, one owner. The guy started riding motorcycles in 1993 with this bike, an older guy. And it has a documented 1,172,000 miles on it. Um, and he had been a visitor to our shop for probably since 1995 or 96, never spent a penny. He, was, he lived many states away, but he would come down to our events. And I just kept watching the mileage go up and up and up. We eventually had conversations about that. And uh, he passed away um, a year and a half ago. His best friend called me up and said, Bob, you're in the will. Okay, you're supposed to get this bike. He didn't say whether you're supposed to write a check or it's an outright donation. So there was a big estate involved, uh, technical school where all his money was being left. Everyone worked everything out, it worked out well. We got them, there was another motorcycle involved. We paid retail for that bike so that they felt good about giving the museum this bike. Yeah. And, uh, but it's still running, so. So folks want to find out about the museum, come pay a visit, check all this stuff out. How do they learn about it? Uh, go to bobsmotorcycles.com. You can still go to bobsbmw.com. And, and we are now a Ducati dealer as well, so you can go to Bob's Ducati as well. Um, but we try to keep our museum schedule updated on the website under the events and community section. Um, probably through November, we have dates scheduled for about two Saturdays a month. I'm always willing to give small groups a special tour during the week when my schedule permits. Um, and people travel through our area all the time. So I wouldn't uh, tell people to do anything but not be shy about asking for a special tour if that's what works because the Saturday doesn't. Perfect. Last thing. So your thoughts, comments on where bring a trailer, pricing, buying, selling, how is that? Has it leveled off? Is it cooled off? Is it going through a ebb and a flow right now? What's your, what's your take on it now? Uh, I watch it pretty regularly. Yeah. I've never sold anything there. I've bought um, uh, three bikes there and uh, one car that didn't meet uh, reserve, um, but I was the high bidder, so we got to work out something after the fact. And I believe that it has definitely peaked, okay, and seems to be settling down a little bit. I think what we saw for the three years of COVID, more or less, was that people that had lots of money to spend and would have ordinarily spent it on other things we're now spending on cars. And so there was some reckless spending based on where I think almost all the experts, no matter what the marquee or the number of wheels would have been, said this stuff is going through the roof, but those people had money to spend. And you know, if you got that much money, you spend it where you want to. Um, some of it settled down. There are some trends where um, I think I'm seeing, and I think others are too, more cars and motorcycles not selling than were in the last three years but I think it's returning to where it was once before. Bring a trailer could comment on what those percentages are. Sure, They're tracking sure. it. The company has changed hands. It has. Some policies have changed. Yep. I think most of those have been for the better. I know that there were people besides myself that, you know, nothing in the world is perfect. My, my business is not perfect either, you know? You, you gotta take that with a grain of salt. But they seem to be doing a better job. Um, and I think buyers are getting better educated asking better questions. Uh, I um, There was a bike I made a comment on um, just within the last two weeks that uh, 
a whole lot of people said, thank you for making that. I got tons of likes. And a couple of people said, geez, Bob, stay in your own corner. But that's that world. You that's know, the you way it be, goes. Yeah. Happy, thin skinned if you're going to do that. My goal is always to help people as best I can. And if I see something that I think other people would miss, the, new, the novices don't know about, I think you're it, going to point it out. It's a responsibility to do it. I don't, I come, don't get anywhere close to commenting every bike. I probably look at every BMW, yeah. but if I'm, if I don't have an interest at fast glance, I think it'll be fine. Um, you know, I just lurk in the background with everyone else. And so that happens too. But what happened on this particular occasion, I had four people reach out to me as Bob at Bob's, um, asking questions on that bike and asking questions on would I look at another motorcycle for them, either in person or remotely, um, for a fee. Um, and that's the first time that's happened that many for that many opportunities from just one posting. They trickle in from time to time. Lots of people know how to reach us. Yeah. We've always taken care of people in terms of valuations and evaluations, whether it's from afar or up close. But that one comment where, you know, there's a couple of naysayers and a whole bunch of people that say that was really good just made a spike in terms of how many people said, I really liked your comments. And I've got a couple of questions because I'm thinking about bidding on it to so please tell me more. Yeah. And I'm looking at a bike that's not on Bring a Trailer and I need some help. Excellent. And so, and, and that that's satisfying for me to help people spend their money wisely. So bobsmotorcyclesnow.com. Bob's BMW is still, yep. still active. Yep. And and my old email address, which is bob at bobsbmw.com still works, as does bob at bobsmotorcycles. Excellent. Well, continued success. Thanks for the visit. Oh, my pleasure. That's a wrap for this week. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we've got some other audio from this event, including a panel discussion with Udo Giedel, Tom Cutter, Elspeth Beard, and some others. We hope to bring that to you in the coming week. So until next time, so long, everybody. The Airheads 247 podcast is distributed and produced by From Off Productions. Our producer engineer is Jeff Glover. I'm Darren Dorton. Look forward to catching up with you next time.